I am actually kind of excited to talk about this one. I feel like we have so much, so much to discuss. But anyway, let's go ahead and introduce the very exciting show. Well, you don't sound excited. You sound tired. Uh, <laughs> I've been awake all day. Fuck everyone. Everyone's um, been awake all day, brother. Anyway. That's not true. Maybe some people just woke up and are listening to this. God only knows. Shut your pie hole and let me introduce the show. Go ahead. (laughs) So welcome to episode 25 of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see what side of the critical consensus they fall on. My name is Derek Gade, and with me, as always, is my friend, collaborator, and associate from the southeastern United States, Mr. Juan Barcade. How are you, man? I'm pretty great. Pretty, 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 you know, pretty, pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. You good? That was like a terrible, terrible. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was terrible. Um, it was, it was, um, that was a terrible Larry David impression. But anyway, oh God, unless okay. it was for Kirby enthusiasm. Anyway. All right. <laughs> so shitty impressions aside, we watched a movie for this, uh, for this podcast. And, uh, really? My you watched the movie? Time. Yeah, what? that's, 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 that's crazy. A, that's the whole MO of this pod. We watch a movie with a 50% Rotten Tomato score, and then we talk about its merits I'm, and its faults, and you know. I'm shocked, honestly. I had no idea that's the podcast we were doing. So you've just been operating blind for 25 episodes? I mean, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, like, I thought this was, I thought this was about, about me. <laughs> I thought it was always about me and just like what I just happened to watch this week. But anyway, (laughs) Um, I like how many like ridiculous just moments I'm going off on today, even though I actually do really want to talk about this movie. (laughs) Yeah, this movie was this is probably probably one of the stranger films we've done here on Stuck in the Middle with you. Uh, The film in question uh, that we've decided to cover is Aria, uh, released in 1987 and directed by Robert Altman, Bruce Beresford, Bill Bryden, Jean-Luc Godard, Derek German, Frank Rodham, Nicholas Roig, Ken Russell, Charles Sturridge, and Julian Temple. That's right. It's our first omnibus film here. It's stuck in the middle with you. Yep, but they were not directed in that order because no. it's differently presented because it's cooler than that alphabetical Nonsense. Yeah, the, yeah, the fleet-eared among you will re- would have realized the second I said Altman, Beresford, Bryden that this is an alphabetical listing. But in fairness, it could have actually been shot that way. I'm trying to think if New York Stories was done. No, it wasn't. It wasn't done that way because it was Scorsese, Allen, Coppola. So that's not not even no. So what so, the hell is the con- well? I'm not going to ask you, dude. What the hell this movie's about? I'm going to ask you, what the fuck is the concept of Arya? Well, the concept of Arya, as you can probably imagine by the very, very exciting title, Arya. What the fuck's an Arya? (laughs) What the fuck's an Arya? Do you you need, like, do you need a description of what an Arya is? No, I'm like, I'm like Joe Dumbass. I don't know what an Arya is. What's an Arya? I don't know, but like properly explain a fucking aria it's like a it's a piece of music typically used within an opera and like sometimes it's purely instrumental sometimes it has it's usually performed by a singer um but 
yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's it. Like, well, I don't, <laughs> well, I don't really know how else to like further explain it without like going to like Wikipedia and like sitting down and reading through the entire thing. Like, what is an aria? Well, luckily for you, I've got Wikipedia right here, and it says that an aria is in music was originally any expressive melody, usually but not always performed by a singer. The term oh, became, I was right. The term became used almost exclusively to describe a self-contained piece for one voice, with or without orchestral accompaniment normally part of a larger work. The typical context for an aria is opera, but vocal arias also feature in uh, oratorios and cantatas, uh, sharing features of the operatic arias of their periods. So, yeah. So, basically what I said, but prettier. Yeah. So, what of the Ooh. arias? What happens in this <laughs> film related to arias? Um, basically, each... There are... How many segments? Like, one, two, ten. three, four, five. There's ten, right? Okay. And each one is, like... Just kind of visual accompaniment to each aria, and um, they're basically some music of them videos. kind of mirror. Yes, some of them kind of mirror what the arias are about, and some of them I don't know because I I'm not that familiar with opera. Neither am I. I'm a total <laughs> opera dunce. Which I kind of feel obviously gives us a very interesting perspective on this. Well, like compared to someone who like may have seen. A lot of these operas or, you know, heard a lot of these operas and know what they're about and they have like an established context to them where they can't necessarily remove themselves from that established context to watch this movie. In so a one, different... thing, one thing is that I would be hard pressed to think of a quote higher form of art than the opera as far as like prestige and cultural yeah. baggage is concerned. And it's now wedded to that lovable mutt of art forms film. And it's done so in a very interesting way, I feel. I think this movie is terminally interesting, but that's also, I think, the lot of the anthology film. Yes, I mean, that that happens in most cases. But I would argue this is probably one of my preferred anthology films as a whole. I don't think I've seen a ton of them, so I would be hard-pressed to like... Do we want to start one by one, or do we want to start with the framing and then... No, I think we'll cover the framing when it shows up at the end. Because I think we can talk about these individually. That's fair. Okay, so the first one is um, Nicholas Rogue's short. Yep, uh, Un Ballo in Machera. By Giuseppe Giuseppe Verdi, Verdi a name yeah. I recognize. <laughs> I mean, I would hope so. He's, I mean, he's he has plenty of pieces in this movie. So what do you think of this one, man? I loved it. I loved it. I was I was iffy on it the first time a little bit because I thought it was um, the opening was a little bit awkward for some reason I don't know why but um but then when I I re I went back and I rewatched it and I thought it was so it flows so so naturally and it's so well edited and the only thing that I thought was a little off was the shootout right. at the end of it but outside of that it's so beautifully beautifully shot and beautifully framed and teresa russell is gorgeous as king zog because the whole i mean the whole thing it's like a fictionalized account of um an assassination on king zog the first of albania kneel before zog (laughs) terrible but yeah i really like uh teresa russell in it anyway go ahead I mean, I thought it was. I, I mean, I didn't watch it a second time, so I basically had this, the same reaction as you did the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very stately. It's very like mannered. Uh, it, it felt like w- watching like a like a fastbender film a little bit. 
A little bit. I can actually definitely, definitely see that comparison. But I mean, ultimately, I thought it was fine. It's in the middle of the pack for me. Really? Like, lots of like, like lots of like sort of exchange glances. It's very nice looking, but you know. I mean, I'm a sucker for exchange glances, though. That's the thing. Like, glances I mean, are what what I love in movies. I think this ultimately is why we rated Carol the way we did. Yes, I was literally about to bring up Carol. <laughs> is this I'm the same thing? You did it first. So yeah, I'm actually going to pull up because I actually uh, have a power ranking for the uh, for the films. Yeah, I have actually I have Roy gets seventh out of ten. Seventh. Seventh. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I've got six other pieces above him. Oh, why are we friends? Okay, whatever. We'll keep on. We'll keep on discussing this, and then we'll rank them at the end. Okay. Okay, because I don't have an actual ranking. I just have like ratings, but I don't feel like saying all my ratings because they're so arbitrary anyway. Well, we'll sort them <laughs> out, and then we'll go through our top ten later. So number yeah, two fair. is directed by Charles Sturridge. And it's uh, La Verigne del Angeli from La Forza del Destino. Another Giuseppe Fergie. Uh, Giuseppe Fergie. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm interested in, in this map. I feel like we should place we'll London Bridge over, oh oh over the short. I mean, oh anything could have made the short better. You know what? But... I really like this. <laughs> really? I liked like how... it's, it's fine. I liked how spare it was. Uh, I mean, listen, I come from a very, very small town. Kids stealing cars and driving around and crashing them is like, it's not cool, but there is like sort of a romanticism to it. I honestly, it makes perfect sense why you liked this so much and why I liked Rogue so much. Like, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, you the can't... whole premise of this short is literally like two kids, uh, no, three kids steal a car. Yeah. They That's steal it. a car, they drive through London and then they, they crash the car. I feel like this is the most. This has the most overt music video feel to it. Yes, yes it's all it's all like slow mo and it's all shot through like, uh, like windshields and whatnot. And, and it's funny because like I think it's it's very nicely shot. I like I'm I'm very into the the black and white photography. Like it's just it flows nicely. But I just I didn't care about anything in it. I cared. I cared. I know you did. Because you have those small town feels. Yeah, I mean, it's not like well, well, we'll get back to this because there's another one of the shorts later on that I feel does the same thing. Okay, but um, but yeah, something I like, else about this one. Well, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I reiterate that I like this one. Yeah, one of the things that like uh, just in the way that it got a little bit, and the fact that it focuses on like these teen girls and the kid, uh, it like vaguely reminded me of certain Jane Campion shorts. I don't know, just specifically in the way it was shot, not so much in mood or anything. But um, okay, okay. But then again, I don't know. Like, I feel like black and white things about teens are, you know, fairly, fairly popular. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't know. Have you? Have I even seen anything else by Charles Sturridge? You know what? I don't know. Let me see. I have not seen a single other film. By Charles Sturridge. Uh, no, me neither. Interesting. That's a, a big old goose egg for me. Maybe you should, considering you liked this. You know, the one I recognize is, is his first movie, Brideshead uh, Revisited. Yeah, same. So maybe that would be like the place to start. Yeah, why not? Um, so number three. 
Armide. Armide, oh. whatever. Actually, no, it would be Armid because the opera in question is French. It's by Jean-Baptiste Lully. Which is by Jean-Luc Godard, yeah, who I typically do not like in his post-60s filmmaking, but holy shit, I loved this short. It's muscle dudes at a gym, and <laughs> they're like, you know, pumping iron, and uh, and these two ladies try to distract them with their nudity. Not just with their nudity. At first, they try distracting them by just like by what it looks like, like dabbing their sweat off their bodies. Basically, they were like literally just like standing in front of them, like just just any amount of attention. And then they start obviously like touching them, taking off their clothes, threatening them with like knives. Like they do everything physically possible to get these men to notice them. But the men are so so self absorbed, and I love it. I like the fact that they're so into pumping iron that they're completely oblivious to everything else. The thing is, like, it's true. That's <laughs> Like, I don't want to say, like, that's exactly how I feel when I look at people at the gym sometimes, but, like, it's so true. Here's the thing about the gym. Not everyone at the gym is a muscle head. No, it's true. You know? I, I'm not saying that, but there are certain people... And it makes so much sense to me. And I feel like it almost like I'm almost extending this short to my own like life context. And like <laughs> I feel like like certain men who are like so interested in bodies are so or like their bodies in particular are so focused on themselves or finding someone who looks like themselves that they have absolutely no interest in anything around them, even when it's arguably beautiful and it's actually interested in them. I mean, those dudes were, like, scarily buff. I mean... Well, yes, I know, but, I mean, like... I mean, I watch wrestling. I mean, those dudes are in shape, but this is, like, crazy. No, no, I'm not... I mean, obviously. And it's supposed to be funny. Like, the whole thing is supposed to be very amusing, obviously, because Jean-Luc Godard's sense of humor is... Like, it's very much on the screen. <laughs> Speaking of on the screen, you've got the sound coming in and out, of the oh, gym yeah. and the, the aria. Oh, yeah, the most experimental one, arguably. You have the title cards at the beginning. You have you dialogue. Have the subtitle dialogue at the end. Uh, it's probably the most formally audacious of the bunch of them, which is, I guess, par for the course when you're talking about Jean-Luc Godard. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, uh, when, I mean, I can't imagine any of the other filmmakers making something... So, I don't want to say, like, experimental, but technically, yeah, experimental. Because it doesn't really... It almost doesn't care about the music. I mean, we'll get there. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get I, to that. Yeah, I, I, I got one guy in my back pocket. Okay, okay. But yeah, like, I almost feel like Godard's doesn't isn't so much interested about using the music as a narrative. No, I mean, this is clear. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. But anyway, anything else to add to, to Godard's? Uh, I, I mean, I kind of want to, like, see... I mean, am, am I the only one of the two who is reminded of Pain and Gain? A little bit. I can I can definitely see that. I mean, kind but, of a funny movie about sort of unchecked privilege and narcissism. I could definitely see that. That makes sense to me. How much am I going to have to pay Jean-Luc Godard to like make a Pain and Gain? Remake Pain and Gain? Yeah. I would I would honestly be the happiest person. In the world. <laughs> like I would actually I would I would be excited for a Godard film. Like <laughs> I would absolutely. Let's fly Marky Mark and The Rock over to Switzerland and see what happens. Oh my God! Please, let's do this. But um, 
there's a lot of there's a surprising amount of of, of nudity in this film. It has what I was talking about because I mean back in the day when we did our last Jean Luc Godard thing, I I mentioned that it, it was going to have titties right before watching it, and I knew for a fact this one would also have titties because it's even like it seemed even more artsier and prone to titties. Yeah, I mean, then, if, I mean, I would have the take, Rolling Stones documentary. I would have taken the under. I would, I mean, I would have taken all my money and put it on the under. But no, I mean, no, there is a, I mean, not just in the Godard short. I mean, generally, there's a healthy amount of nudity yes, in this film. Titties. Yes, yes, but I was, I was glad that that, that Godard satisfied. Ugh. So, what's next on our exciting, exciting list of short films within Aria? Rigoletto, directed by Julian Temple. Yes. I thought this was kind of lame, dude. Really? I liked yeah. it so much. <laughs> I thought it was, I think, it, I thought it was like indistinguishable from like any like 80s sex comedy. But I thought, I actually thought this one worked, and I thought it was so well shot. I mean, uh, it I has don't... all of these like leisurely long takes, and the they're leisure... like, they move so nicely, and then they fade, like, they just like, he like he moves onto the black screen and then he just goes to the next one and goes to the next one and I thought it was so funny and it moves with the music. I mean, I the whole think... premise of the short it's like a bedroom farce and it's just uh, a movie producer's cheating on his wife and his wife is also cheating with him in like the other room right next door and there's like fantasy situations and it's I thought it was very amusing. I didn't. <laughs> Really? Like, okay, but like, I, you like, really think it's indistinguishable from any 80s sex comedy? I mean, I say, I mean, of course it's distinguishable. I mean, it's got like, it's got better directorial chops than a lot of those, but I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. So I like, I very much thought Julian Temple was like, it's, it's very well shot. I know, but I, I, I just found it was kind of lame. I mean, the jokes weren't funny and it's like, oh, ecstasy, boo. And no, like it was kind of sad, actually. <laughs> yes, it is sad. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's like I, I don't know. I thought it was like not dark humor, but like it's like it's it's funny enough in a sad way. And he went on to make an amazing movie immediately after this. So you know, what do you make after this? Earth Girls are easy. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. But uh, no, I mean, I, I mean, I, I wasn't on board with this thing just because I thought the like the 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 plotting was lame, the jokes were lame. Although it does have one genuinely great image, and that's the Elvis impersonator singing along to the to the aria. Oh my god, yes, to the aria! I thought it was so good. And in what is by far the best lip syncing to an aria in the film. Oh, without a doubt, because because almost every other instance is horrible. Yes, it is, especially the the the, the closing sequence. In my yeah, opinion, John Hurt man was acting up a storm, but he couldn't fucking lip sync to save his life. Uh, well, no, they couldn't edit to save his life. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, um, so is that all we have to say about this? I think one? that's all. I we will have to say. say I I now officially dream of of having of dressing up as a sheep and having oh someone dressed up as a woodsman. <laughs> And having them lifting. <laughs> See, I'm starting. I'm starting to think that you like the shit that is also happens. Like, I think there's like a Venn diagram of one circle is uh, short films in aria, and the other circle is wand sex fantasies. 
Oh my god, shut up. And the ones you like <laughs> are the ones that are in the intersection because you've got the muscle dudes and you've yeah, got you've got and the now fucking... I have like couples cheating on each other in weird fantasy situations. No, because thinking... I don't care for the caveman one. No, but I was thinking more of specifically the fucking axe dude, the fucking Paul Bunyan fucking a sheep. Oh my god, Paul Bunyan. Like, yeah, that guy was hot. I don't even care what anyone says. Anyway. Oh god. What if I, <laughs> also, if I the woman kind of looked like Bernadette Peters, but not that much. So I was also thoroughly amused by that concept. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm so gay. <laughs> yeah, it's like that Katy Perry song. Uh, no, please go away. <laughs> bring that garbage up. Anyway, next uh, one is by happened. Bruce Beresford. Bruce Beresford. This uh, fe- this one features a young Elizabeth Hurley, who I didn't recognize. Neither did I, actually. And uh, you know when I said about really bad lip syncing to the Arias? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> this has some pretty bad lip syncing to the Arias. This one is... No, it's not my least favorite, but it's my this next to least this favorite. This pretty bad. It's 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 nine. It's nine without a doubt in my mind. I think it's nine for me as well. It's very it's very like sort of stately looking. It looks like a painting. A lot of light play. Lots of great it's so shots. Stiff though. Lots of great shots of Brussels. I like yeah. I like the city stuff. But the second you've got the people there, I I'm 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 out because like. It's so fucking boring. It's 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 stiff when they sing to each other, and it's even stiffer when they sing. No pun intended. When they sing to each other, like in bed, naked. Yeah, and uh, also the piece is a uh, Gluck. Uh, is that how you, I mean, um, Gluck das mir verblieb. 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 Gluck das mir verblieb. Yeah, yeah. I I just I don't know. I thought it was so like it's it's simple enough, but like. It feels like a necessary filler when the emotions of like every piece that follows it is so much higher, except for like the the one immediately following it. But like we'll discuss that in a minute. Uh, yeah, lifeless, uh, bloodless, uh, sexless. Um, not not great. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And like I feel like I mean like even the Wikipedia description like scenic footage of MB streets and cemeteries is intercut with the duet of two lovers providing counterpointed to the dead city and like yeah. I mean I was expecting no, some, I was expecting some they, umbrella of Sherbourg shit like the thing is like they're both the so lifeless the streets are as lifeless as the love <laughs> like it's also bland. Yeah, it gets worse in retrospect when you see some of the other ones that involve people. The thing is, like, if you see, like, let's just say, like, Rodham's immediately after this. Yeah, yeah. Like, if those two shorts were put back to back, you'd be like, holy shit. Yeah, this yeah, basically. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there are – there's one more piece immediately before Rodham that we need to discuss because I think it is both of our numbers. Oh, Bobby, why would you do this to me? I know. Oh, God. Robert Altman's short is a massive disappointment to me. Abaris ou les Boreades. I'm so glad you said that because I cannot. Uh, Jean-Philippe Ramu. Yeah, music by Jean-Philippe Ramu, libretto by Louis de Cahussac. This is a piece of shit. No, no, no. Okay, hold on. Okay, so the concept of the concept of is the, cool. Of the short is just like it's a recreation of the opening night at uh, Paris's uh, Théâtre Le. Do it. Do it. Ranelag. Ranelag way. 
Ranelach is good enough, whatever, uh, in 1734. And the audience is basically just like a bunch of... Ruffians and weirdos. Yeah, dressed up in their finest, messiest (laughs) fucking clothes. Yeah, they're dressed in their Wednesday best. Yeah, and um, that's it. That's the whole short. There's nothing to it. Well, there's something interesting about when a short or a film or whatever, it makes an audience look at an audience. It makes you, it makes you contemplate your own actions as a viewer. Uh, it makes you think about ideas of spectatorship, about where we view art, about how we view art. But unfortunately this being uh, a seven minute short smack dab in the middle of an omnibus film, that context is evaporates gone yep and i feel like the only thing that altman does here is utilize his ensemble to just show different people doing different things but none of the things they're doing are interesting and why the fuck did he cut so much why did he cut so much like if you told me oh this whole thing was just like one long take of all of the the ridiculous inmates in the sh- in the fucking theater. I'd be like, okay, well, like maybe that'd be a little more interesting, but it's just, it's not well presented. It's not interesting. It's just, it's nothing. And it could have been interesting with the scale, but like, it's not. Yeah. And I almost wonder if I'm missing some context because I don't know the piece of music, but like, yeah, I, I feel like when there's a billion shorts that can stand on their own, then this like this one not being able to kind of stands out. <laughs> I think we should move on. Yeah, yeah, I think we should. So back to Rodham, uh, or not back to Rodham, but like on to Rodham, Frank Rodham, who made one of my favorites. In yeah, this, this is really thing. good. This is really but good. But in fairness, and I say this like in advance, I adore Tristan and Isolde. Yeah, because this is a Liebestod from Tristan and Isolde. Yeah, like this, I love, 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 love Tristan and Zolt. Like, so it's, so basically it's Bridget, <laughs> F- it's Bridget Fonda, it's Wagner. Uh, Bridget Fonda and her boyfriend, uh, doing some Paris, Texas shit on the highway, going to doing Vegas. Some Paris, Texas shit is actually the perfect description for it. <laughs> they're on the highway, they're going to Vegas, they rent into a cheap motel, they consummate their relationship in the best nude scene of the film. Yes. Scene where the people are naked? I would say yes. And then attempt to kill themselves in the tub. Yep. And um yeah, I mean this is just kind of a It's I feel this. Like this is this is I I don't know. I felt a lot of things about this. And I also I feel like things... it's very interestingly reflective of its of its of its opera and whatnot. See, well, I don't it's not romantic sh- and it's tragic. Well, that that obviously is a point in his favor, but I'm going to take your word on it because I'm ill-familiar with it. But I'd like to say that the things that I feel about this are probably the same things that you felt about the Nicholas Roy one at the beginning. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I felt it was like more uh, – I guess for lack of a better term, I guess passionate? Yes. No, it absolutely it felt, is passionate. It felt like there was a fire underneath this one, not just in the content but in the way that it was made. Yeah. And so, and it's, it's, it's pretty intense and it gets like abstract at times and it's – 
you know, it's it's yeah, it, it has a pretty like like strong gear shift from like lovely to sad real quick, and then there's like an ambiguous ending, and there's those masterful shots of the Nevada desert at the end. And the thing the, is, like, the camera the... decides to stop following them after a while. That's, yeah. that's just, that's, that seems like an insignificant choice, but that's really solid. Exactly, and uh, one of the things that um that the the wicked description says is they unsuccessfully try to commit suicide, and I don't know if that's that's true or, or not. It's it's very much it's left open ended. It's ambiguous, yeah. Yeah, and not to mention the title is literally "Love Death," right? So, like, I mean, I feel like I feel like it's very much implied that they do succeed i think maybe also you can just interpret it as like sort of a seismic event like a paradigm shift yes, yes. but uh yeah. the fact that the fact know. that we're discussing like the themes and the way that source and uh adaptation interweave just makes this one of the better films in the it really does piece. it's honestly it's 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 one of my top three without a doubt i think it's in my top three as well yeah i really really liked it i, I was really really into it um and then it just like this and the next two are are easily some of my favorites. Ah, uh, now we get into the good shit. Oh, the, my, my man. two favorites, you mean? Uh, my man, or, my man. No, not two. My two favorites, but my, my man Ken Russell, man. Ken uh, Russell. Ken I'm... Russell has done no wrong to me so far, and like I obviously haven't seen some of his more popular movies. But um, I've spoken highly of Mr. Russell on this podcast before, and I will not. We always speak now. highly of Russell. Uh, Nessun Dorma from Turnado. Ah, uh, this one is so fucking good. It really is. It's uh, it's it's pretty damn good. I I have like one tiny minor issue with it, but like it's fine. It's this sort of. We'll discuss uh, it in a minute. <laughs> it's this Yodorowsky esque like yes, like like mystic healer rune jewel bullshit high priest. <laughs> Like completely fake, but geometric sky in the background. Fucking props that look like uh, it's like, it's the like I know everything in this is very eighties, but this is the most quintessentially eighties piece of filmmaking in this goddamn film. Which is weird because it's not the most eighties thing that uh, Russell has done because at all there's an there's another Russell movie that I've seen. I don't know if you have. It's called The Lair of the White Worm. No, I it, haven't, but I'm very it stars uh, it stars a young Hugh Grant and a young Peter Capaldi. I mean, and, I'm so into this already. And there's <laughs> a, there's of course a hallucination sequence because what Ken Russell movie is not is not complete without one. It would be a crime if not. And it's the most bootleg video art that you've ever seen in your entire oh life. God. I'm so excited. But like, so so speaking of. Speaking of hallucination, the entire first half of this short is essentially a hallucination. Yes, and uh, but they do a pretty good job of melding hallucination. And, yes, the and, juxtaposition of like reality and like the f- the fantastic element of like this 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 gem ritual essentially. You can is call it gem so ritual. Good. It's so good. It's just. Ken Russell's eye is so good. I know. His sense Just of like style. like the eye that this man goes through his little sun wand. <laughs> yeah, he has – this This high priest dude has a staff with a, a, a magnifying glass on the end that's a sun. That's weird. 
Yes, and it all it basically is the the grand light of the operating room over this woman. And yeah. it's so good. Good use of light in this film. Good light of light. Good use of Gorgeous. light. Good use of light. Good use of color. Like it's so it's, bright. I know. So so okay. So wait, can I say my my sole complaint about this one? Sure. <laughs> when they're using the fucking defibrillator on her titties. Ah, fuck! Really? <laughs> Are you going to say what I think you're going to say, Mister Barking? Her titty bounce, and her like she was late. On the bounce, whenever they did the, like, the two times they did the thing, it oh was like God. she was like a couple of seconds too late, and then they just they just like I just I, I'm sorry, but like I literally saw that and I'm like, oh my god, this just took me so out of the scene. I don't know I was I was so enraptured that I didn't even notice it. I noticed because like. The titty bounce was so distracting because I thought it would have been really cool if the second, like, they did the jolt, they just cut to something else. Like, cut to her in the fantasy and then cut back when the, when the, when the, the monitor was on, which I thought, I, thought, I love the monitor. But I really like the piece as a whole. Again, it's just the titty bounce. I mean, it makes sense for Russell. I just like that the card that they use is a Pontiac Firebird. <laughs> Yes, yes. I turned to my friend. Uh, I was rewatching it today, and I turned to my friend, and I'm just like, "It's a fucking firebird." <laughs> yep. Like a phoenix rising from the ashes, she yes. too comes back yes. from the land of the dead. I loved it. I loved it. Oh man, this this is my favorite one. This is just right at the it's, top. It's numero top three. uno. It's or yeah, it's top three. And now we've got Depuis le Jour from Louise. My by, number one. By Derek Jarman. This is, okay, so, like, this is the first Derek Jarman thing I've ever seen in my life. Me too. And I love it with all of my gay, gay heart. Well, it's pretty good. I mean, just just right off the bat, the fact that he is a, a steadfast de- uh, defender and user of Super 8mm. Yes. Which uh, just automatically gives your movies an interesting look. But absolutely, what I'm more concerned with is aside is from young Tilda Swinton having beautiful long hair. Well, there's that. Too. There's that. <laughs> but also, I like the way that this whole thing is structured and organized because more than a lot of things that I've seen in my admittedly short life, uh, this depuis le jour short looks. Like how a memory looks in your mind's eye. Yes. Yes. That is a beautiful description of this. And and the entire thing is obviously based around a a memory. It's a it's an old opera singer giving her final performance and it's all of this these eight millimeter home videos of of her love affair from way back in the day when she looked like Tilda Swinton, which I will say the actresses look just in like, just alike enough enough so that I know. But at first when I saw, when they do the, like this establishing shot of her from afar, I was like, Oh my God, did Derek Jarman do Tilda Swinton and old people make up like a billion (laughs) or fucking Wes Anderson got to it. And then it wasn't her. And I was a little disappointed, but it's okay. Cause she looked like the old lady in Titanic too. And I was kind of into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a really solid, very, very emotional, very poignant little short 
Yes, it's gorgeous. And, uh, I'm probably gonna have to get on that. Uh, I'm gonna have to get on that Derek Jarman train. So am I. I ended up watching one of his other shorts yesterday as well. And today I was going to watch Blue, but I ended up getting a little too sidetracked. But I I'm think very excited I think for. Blue is the good one to end with because it was, after all, his last movie. But we have seen something that Mr. Jarman has had his his pause in because he did part of the set design for Ken Russell's The Devils. Yep, but I actually haven't seen The Devils, so. I have, and it's really good. Yeah. Didn't he, didn't he work for... He worked for, for Ken Russell for a bit, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like he worked for someone else, too, that I like, but maybe I'm going crazy. Maybe it's just Russell. So we're going to finish this up with a bit of a wet fart. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a wet, it's okay. It's okay, it's fine. It's Vesti yeah. Laguba from Pagliacci. Yes. An opera name I recognize. Because oh, everyone knows Pagliacci, the yeah, sad fucking clown. The sad fucking David Bowie ashes to ashes clown. <laughs> so um, this short essentially frames the entire film. It's not really f- frames the entire film. It just literally pops up one like scene after scene after scene. Yeah, it's the uh, it's it's the it's the cartilage of the film. It's like yes. uh, it separates each of the uh, each of the nine previous pieces. So you wonder what John Hurt is doing in this opera house. Yeah. But then at the last at the last minute, uh, we get a, a John Hurt, I guess solo, a John Hurt aria. And yes, he's only performing for one single woman. In yeah, and motherfucker can't lip sync to save his life at all. Like whoever edited this deserves to be hit first of all, oh, and man. second of all, like John Hurt's really good in this. Yeah, John yeah. Hurt's really fucking good. But like, you know, here's 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 the secret sauce of this. John Hurt is a really good actor. <laughs> Well, yeah, no shit. John Hurt's always great. So, so yeah, the last, the <laughs> last short was not very good as no. a whole. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, um, that's Aria. That's so Aria should we do like you. okay? So top three for you. Well, I've got my, I've got top, my rankings. I've okay, got my five. top ten. I got my top ten. I'm gonna work my way from the bottom. Okay, go ahead. Ten Altman, nine Beresford, eight Temple, seven Roig, six Bryden. Five Goddard, four Surridge, three Rodham, two Jarman, one Russell. Okay. Okay, I'm into that. Um okay, so ten Altman, nine Beresford, eight Sturridge. Really? Sorry. No, no. Eight Bryden. I should st- no. I don't know. Seven and eight are Bryden and Sturridge. Okay. Six Temple, five Roeg, four Russell, three Rodham, two Goddard, one Jarman. Okay, so there's some overlap, yeah. some disagreements. Yeah, we did we did pretty decently, but anyway. So you think it's fresh or? Rotten? I think it's fresh. This is an interesting exercise in sort of melding high art and the mongrel art that is film. Uh, it's basically music videos for Arias. Uh, some work, some don't, but it's pretty interesting across the board. Yeah, exactly. As a whole, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's, I think it's worth watching, even if, like, even if you have to sit through the shitty ones. Like, there's some really, really good stuff in here. There's some solid shit in here. Yeah, and I mean, if you, if you, like, if you desperately just don't want to sit through the shitty stuff, go look up the shorts on YouTube. <laughs> hmm. Your recommendation, my recommendation. Who? How do we? My I always pick. Forget. My pick, so yours first. Cool. Um, I'm gonna fucking go ahead and just pick something. Um, 
I'm sure. I'm sure. I totally, totally know uh, what I'm gonna pick. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna pick something simple because I feel like we probably we probably talked enough this podcast. This might be a longer one, so I'm gonna go ahead and pick uh, Nicholas Rogues, the man who fell to Earth because the late great David Bowie is in it and i have been yes r.i.p david bowie i spent far too much time uh crying (laughs) fairly recently and my black star uh vinyl comes in tomorrow so i'm very excited about that and i'm probably going to watch the men who fell to earth in theaters in like a week and a half so uh, as a rewatch uh but i honestly i think it's such a cool movie it's a great Um, messy 70s sci-fi allegory thing yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. So yeah, you go ahead. What's your recommendation? I'm going to recommend a Robert Altman movie I like. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> that I love, in fact. It's one of my favorites by him. It's The Long Goodbye, uh, starring Elliot Gold, uh, an adaptation of the uh, Raymond Chandler novel of the same name. It's really good. It has like that shaggy 70s feel that I love best in movies. Great L.A. movie. And keep your eyes peeled for a young, buff as shit, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you a question, though, Juan. Shoot. What's your opinion on buff dudes? Buff dudes? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, buff dudes sometimes can be pretty great. Sometimes can be pretty terrible. But more importantly... This is a perfect lead-in to what our next week's movie is going to be. I like that you smashed the the softball I tossed you right out of the park. I know, right? Thank you. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I did such a great job. <laughs> so, we are going to watch... <laughs> be careful what you say, man, because once you record it and put it out there, it becomes like law. We have to do it. This is a movie Derek has been dreading forever, and I too have. Listen, don't front. You've been dreading, dreading this, this too. But I'm also absolutely fascinated by by this film's existence. Uh, God makes all fifty percent movies equal. Yes, and so this is this is a, a a film that is essentially a like queer bear, bear version of a, like <laughs> Sex in the City. Oh Lord. And, <laughs> and Dude, it's it looked... called Bear City. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Dude, this movie looks so bootleg. It's The Revenant, but, like, done oh, right. Oh, God. <laughs> How many pot shots will I take at The Revenant this year? A thousand. <laughs> the, year is, the year is pretty young. Exactly. Uh, well, we're not going to watch The Revenant next time. We're going I mean, to this... watch... <laughs> we're going to watch Bear City. Like, I hope I'm proved wrong. I mean, I certainly hope. This movie is, like, complete garbage. But, like, one of the most, one of the popular reviews on Letterboxd uh, (laughs) specifically states, this is what's wrong with queer cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Me, it's, like, the opposite of you. Like, I hope this movie is fucking awesome. I hope this movie is really funny. (laughs) I do, too. I genuinely do. I know it doesn't sound like I do, but I really do. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah so Juan and I run a website Dim the House Lights you can find it at dimthehouselights.com there you can find uh, well mostly our long form film criticism uh, but also the long form film criticism of some other talented writers such as Michelle Arf, 
Chris Mello, Ross Burks, and Carl Harris. If you're interested in this podcast specifically, you can go to the podcast's website, which is at sitnwypodcast.tumblr.com. From there, you can find links to both of our letterbox pages, both of our Twitter accounts. You can find links to our old episodes. And most importantly, you can find a link to our iTunes show page. There you can give us a rating, a review, and basically give us a little bit more exposure because we would love that. Yeah. Juan has a gig writing at the Miami New Times. And and everything I write, you can find at my portfolio blog, which is at montrealschlockcity.com. I think that's everything, right? Yeah, sounds about right. All right, so that's a wrap on Aria, and we'll see you in two weeks. Who? Peace out.